Well, let us turn once again to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. We're going to continue looking at what we began to look at last week uh, and then and then cross over into uh, this final paragraph of chapter 5 as these two are connected very closely to one another. Last week we talked about embodying the restraint and the mercy of, of Jesus Christ when we're dealing with people who insult us. And this week, we're going to look at that a little bit further, but also cross into that next thing that we are to embody, and that is the Father's beneficence. It's one of, did anybody use that word this week? Well, shame on you. Start using it more. It is a beautiful word that captures this amazing beauty of God himself. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your father, as your heavenly father is perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless uh, the words of Jesus Christ to us today. Not because they are easy and certainly not because we necessarily want to hear them today, but because we need them. They provide to us life, and they empower us to be agents of that life here within this world. And so indeed, help us to humble ourselves even under these difficult instructions that as you empty us of ourselves, you would fill us with Christ. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In the Sermon on the Mount, as we have been saying, what Jesus is doing for his covenant people is he is providing very specific corrections to false teaching. And the reason he is providing these corrections is because his desire, as he is the God-man, Jesus Christ, is for the covenant people of God to experience flourishing in this life. Flourishing is not something we wait for. 
The Christian life, the Christian faith is, is not about saying a couple of words in a prayer and getting our ticket to heaven punched and then just sitting around and waiting for all of that to come. The flourishing of the Christian life begins as those who are called out of sin and into new life in Christ become, as Peter said, partakers of the divine nature. This doesn't mean that we're becoming gods. What it means is that by nature of our union with Christ, we have been brought out of death and we have been made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. You are new. And because of this newness, you have a calling to reflect this shared life, this life of participation in the life, love, and mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have a calling, and you have an enablement. And so we, we are told that in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are to be holy as God is holy. And that holiness that we see from the Lord himself involves the way that he has created and the way that he providentially shows care for his creation. We are not only the recipients of this, we're not only the objects of this, we become co-participants with him in this. To put it more simply, in Christ, we are salt and we are light. We are those who preserve, who protect, and who promote life. We are those who shed light and revelation of the path that leads to flourishing, to those who are immired in a darkness and in a death in which they are longing for, they're seeking flourishing, but because of sin, it's corrupted. And as we have probably all heard some, it leads people to look for love in all the wrong places. Made in the image of God, they have an innate design to find satisfaction. But because of sin, the design is broken. It's corrupted. What Christ is doing is he is restoring this. And that restoration brings with it a calling to become agents of restoration in this Life. And as we have been working through this section in dealing with what is the real truth about not murdering? What is the real truth about not committing adultery? What is the real truth with regards to marriage and divorce? What is the real truth with, with regards to integrity? 
we come here to the end where we get into that, that area where we have to face the question, what does it look like for us to be promoters of life when we become the object of someone's insult or someone's violence? Now, last week as we began to look into this, this section, we talked about embodying Christ's restraint. That restraint that led Jesus while he was hanging on the cross to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you know what, what part of what it means for us to be holy as Christ is holy? It's to seek to embody that level of restraint, that level of mercy. But this is not some kind of silly, pie-in-the-sky religiosity. This is, this is not naivete. Jesus is not saying here, as I introduce, he's not saying that what we're supposed to do here is just you know, become a mat for someone to, to walk all over. He's not saying that we are to engage. Uh, the Christian uh, life is not the engagement of an ostrich ethic. We aren't sticking our heads in the sand and acting like we don't see what's going on around us. Jesus here is not calling us to a life in which we ignore injustice. He's not saying when he tells us, turn the other cheek, he's not saying that what this means is we just let evil run rampant. But when we experience it, especially in the form that it comes here, which is the insult, the backhanded slap to the cheek, Jesus says, turn the other also. Don't respond with an immediate escalation of the situation in which you are responding to trying to protect your ego. Is what he says. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's a biblical teaching in the Old Testament in which in the civil courts of Israel, judges and society were to practice restraint rather than retaliation. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, one of, part of what that means is that there is a calling to respond uh, for judges that, that the sentences that they give are to match the crime. You don't go above and beyond the crime in seeking to punish the crime. You're not escalating. If there is something that has happened, for example, an eye, then you respond with an eye. If something happens to the eye, you don't respond with nuking them. So even within the law, within the civil courts of Israel, the courts had limitations that they were to embody, restraint that they were to embody in the way that they dealt with crime, in the way that they dealt with sentencing. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth is not an excuse to immediately launch into someone because they came at you. 
It is a call to acknowledge even when you have been wronged. Are you ready? Have you prepared yourself ahead of time to respond with restraint? Going further, have you prepared yourself to be someone who practices restitution? Not only is the call here to practice a restraint that we just don't immediately escalate, he's also calling us to be people who practice restitution. Are you ready to provide what is needed? Now, this is the general idea of what Jesus is laying out to us here. That from our hearts and through our conduct, that we are to be those who practice and promote restraint, limits, not cultivating a posture of escalation, but practicing a preparation of being one who gives. We are to, he says here, go the extra mile. Provide more than what is asked for. He even says, don't refuse. Now, what he doesn't say here, by the way, he doesn't say, give them what they want. Jesus isn't saying here, once again, we're not doormats. He's not saying that if someone you know, comes to you with a need, he's not saying that you don't get to exercise wisdom uh, in the way that you interact with this individual. You do get to do that. But what he is saying is that we want to be cultivating these, these hearts that are ready to give, that are ready to restrain, that are, that are ready to go above and beyond. And we do this because we are participants in the life of our Savior, Jesus and becoming a partaker of the divine nature in Christ means that there is zero limitation to the power available to you to practice restraint and to practice restitution. The limit is what you choose for that to be. I want to speak to one specific application here before we move forward. Jesus is helping us to see that within civil society, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is a way for the civil courts to exercise limits in their power. What an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth do not mean is here is the best way or here is the best ethic or here is the best law for engaging in personal relationships. When you get insulted, eye for an eye doesn't mean that you get to insult back. But as I said, this is not about injustice. Jesus is not teaching us here to be naive. He's not teaching us here to just sit back and stick our heads in the sand or just let injustice, you know, go on and on and on all around us. 
what he's talking about here is not engaging in, in, a, in a principle of relationship that's based upon you saving face. Be willing to lose face if that means embodying his restraint. All right, so are we clear there? This is not about injustice. There are boundaries. Throughout history, there has been sometimes so many different misunderstandings with what Jesus is saying here that it has allowed injustice to continue. It happens at the personal level where, yes, yeah, someone insults you and Jesus is telling you, okay, you, you don't, don't you know, protect your ego here. But Jesus isn't saying, don't not confront either. In fact, he gave us very, three very specific steps for how to confront someone who has sinned against you in Matthew 18. That when you get sinned against, this call is not to just take it. It's to take it and then seek the other person's good. Take it and seek the good of the relationship, which means that you have the freedom to decide, well, I'll just forgive the person and we'll move forward. Or at times it will require you, as Jesus says in Matthew 18, go to that person and let them know what they did. But not for the sake of saving face and not for the sake of condemning them, You go to them in order to help restore the relationship. It's part of the practice of restitution. And so sometimes a a broken relationship can be restored because you as the offended party choose on your own to forgive. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. And so you have to actually speak to it. But even when you do, the goal of speaking to it is not to put the other person down, not to put the other person in their place. It's to pursue what was broken. second application when Jesus was standing in his trial the night before he was crucified Jesus was struck in the face do you recall that Jesus gave an honest answer (laughs) it was not appreciated And one of the officers of the court struck Jesus in the face. Do you remember how Jesus responded? Jesus said, if what I have said is not true, correct me. But if what I have said is true, then you have to respond to it. 
He is struck in the face. He doesn't defend his ego. He doesn't try to save face, but he also doesn't just, you know, act like it didn't happen. He speaks very specifically and directly to what happened in such a way as to call that person to repent without, you know, some in-the-face confrontation where it's escalated. He simply stood on the truth. How many times do we read in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul, as he is going through some form of, of, of persecution or resistance, where his rights as a Roman citizen are not being upheld? He doesn't complain and say, you shouldn't persecute me. But what does he do? But he does say, um, I have rights as a Roman citizen, so if you're going to punish me, at least do it the right way. He didn't try to escape the punishment. He didn't try to get out of what was happening. But he did call the people to do it in the right way. Now, the reason I'm, I want to emphasize this is we are living right now at a time in which there is becoming more and more resistance. And the temptation on our end is to escalate. The temptation on our end is to want to put culture in its place. The temptation on, on our end is, is to want to, to fight and to correct and even shame those who are trying to shame us. And we will use any and every argument that we can engage in to accomplish that. And the, 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 the problem there is that the Bible doesn't tell us to act like it's not happening. But the Bible does say there is a proper way to respond and there is an improper way to respond. And we don't want to engage in the same ethic and extremes that is leading to the confrontation we are receiving. And the goal is not to escalate to win. The goal is to humbly stand in the restraint of Christ and point people to the truth. Without putting them down, without returning the insult with an insult, without trying to shame them, and without trying to grind them into the dirt. It is a call to stand in the humility of of Christ and to say to our father forgive them for they know not what they do but to then like Christ and like Paul point those people to the substance of God's truth beauty and goodness and let our witness be a witness so that our yes is yes and our no is no. And that the integrity of the witness of the church in the midst of, in, of experiencing this kind of resistance is one in which our words and our actions correspond to one another in Christ. First application. Second application. 
what Jesus is not saying here is that women who are being abused in the home are to take it in order to win their husband with a gentle, quiet spirit. Jesus is not calling Christian women who are experiencing abuse in the home to be punching bags, whether that is emotional, psychological, physical, and the other versions of abuse. This is not a calling to being a punching bag and just let yourself be be beaten to a pulp. There is a calling that the church has to be creating a culture within the church in which both husband and wife, because it's not always husband toward the wife. It does happen more that way. But it's not only that direction. But is the church creating a culture uh, of, of what is holy and just within the church with regards to the expectations of how spouses deal with one another? And is the church creating the type of culture, a culture of grace, in which... When there is injustice taking place in the home, that the one who is being sinned against has a place to go to get help. I can't tell you the number of cases that I have either participated in or I have read about in which for years there has been horrible counsel that's been given to abused partners in marriages in the church where people are being told to be a punching bag, and quite often where even Jesus' words turn the other cheek are cited. Beloved, that is not what Jesus is saying here. He is not saying, just take it. What he is saying is that if you are the recipient of abuse, the proper response is not to escalate and try to out-abuse the abuser. But the response is to be one of restraint, one of mercy and seeking restitution. And what that should look like is that a man or a woman in the church that is experiencing this, that they know that they go to their elder, they go to their pastor, and they let it be known for the purpose of seeking restitution, where the offender is called out, and when the, where the one who is being hurt finds protection. Because the church is salt and life. And we are promoters and protectors and preservers of life.
This ethic that Jesus is putting before us is truly daunting. That when I'm sinned against, that I don't respond with protecting my ego. That it doesn't provide an opportunity for me to look down my nose at the other person and then go after them. But in a humble trust, as we read last week from 1 Peter, a humble trust as Jesus entrusted himself to his Father who judges justly. We pursue justice, but in his humility and in his holy reverence, seeking the restitution and the good of the one who is doing it. Jesus tells us anyone can love the one who is lovely. Anyone can love the one who is loving you. What he calls us to is a participation in the love of our Heavenly Father who one day will judge all in justice, but who even now allows his goodness to be enjoyed by the just and the unjust. Beloved, as participants in his divine nature, we are to love those who persecute us, and we are to pray for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is just something within us that just craves protecting ourselves, even if that means destroying the people around us. Where it is so easy to take offense, and even right now, as we are, are living in a, culture, a grievance culture in which more and more both Christians and non-Christians are, are being sucked into this environment of looking for grievance, of looking for offense, rather than cultivating restraint and mercy and love. And so, Father, fill us with the fullness of, of Christ. And as we entrust ourselves to Him, and as we will take those chances this week, as we'll take those chances of making ourselves vulnerable in front of someone who is not worthy of our trust, Father, grant us the strength and the grace and the mercy to bear witness to the superiority of your worth to that person by by being willing to embrace the cost of taking up the cross as we follow Christ. And Father, may we do this to such an extreme that that you would use this congregation to be a blessing to this community and that we, through, through the ownership of who we are in Christ, can set before this, this community that there is something better than grievance culture, that we can put before this community that there is something better than being escalated and looking for a fight, that we can put before people that there is something better 
than looking down your nose at people who are different from you and, 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 and attempting to, to beat them and defeat them and to crush them. As so many times we hear these words in, uh, uh, being used by the talking heads on TV and, and on the computer. Help us to, to, to have the, the power of your grace to see what is true and to pursue what is right and to be holy as you are holy, but also in the manner in which Christ achieved these things as he humbled himself, taking on flesh and went to the cross to die as a servant, considering others more important than himself. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.